The focus of this season is to be a series of conversations focused on the concept of healing, from miraculous recoveries to unanswered prayers, and how we can see God in the midst. That's the tagline, at least. But here's what's interesting. In the previous 41 episodes, there have been very few conversations on miraculous recoveries. I find that really interesting. Because when you think of a season focused on healing, you would think that that would be the predominant story. But what we found is so many stories where healing didn't happen. So many stories when the healing was different than the healing that was expected. So that's why I was excited when I came across Colleen Murphy. Because when I read her profile, I saw the words, miraculous recovery. And I said, ding, 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 there we go. And Colleen's story is amazing. Because in 2013, Her daughter was hit by a car and should not have lived. And if she survived, it seemed impossible that she would have a normal functioning life. That's not the story that Lauren and Colleen now tell. But if you stop short at this being an episode on miraculous recoveries, then you're missing out. Because Colleen takes us deeper into the topic of miraculous recoveries than I expected to go. What is it like to be on the receiving end of a miraculous recovery? In what ways can that actually be challenging or hard? If you've experienced a miraculous recovery, how do you engage with those who haven't? And what does it mean for your relationship with God when you are feeling particularly unspiritual? Colleen witnessed a miraculous recovery, but that wasn't the end of her story, and that wasn't the end of her journey. You're listening to episode 104 of the Where Did You See God podcast. Father God, I just want to thank you that you are God and you are good. And I thank you for this opportunity for Colleen and I to talk. And I thank you that you work out the details, um, that you made this conversation happen. And so we give this time to you. We just acknowledge there may be thoughts in our own minds, ideas that we may have, but we want to really sell that to you, just trusting that you could actually take this conversation in places that we never could have. So we leave it to you. We entrust it to you. And we thank you in advance for how you're going to work. Let's pray in most holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. All right, so Colleen, I am excited for us to talk for a couple reasons. Before we jump into any of that, one thing that I like to do with my guests is give them an opportunity to share who they are in a brief but fun way. The way that I make it fun is I come up with a random prompt. Okay. Here is your prompt. My son has a little tablet and he loves playing games on it. Right now he's into DuckTales, I think. Let's say there is a simple kids video game being made about you and your life. <laughs> I, my son wants to play it, but I'm like, I want to check out this Colleen game first. And so I'm looking at the description of the game and it basically gives an introduction of who you are, and what this game's about. What do I read when I look at the description of the Colleen kids game? Hmm, kind of a hot mess. So there's that. <laughs> Not overly organized, but I'm fun and I'm creative. I think those are probably my two other than, you know, loyalty, fun and creative are my best qualities. So I would think if it was a kid's game, 
it would be something that would be creative would probably be my go-to. You know, I have grandkids and one of my favorite things to do with my granddaughter, especially is I have her on Tuesdays and we always cook. Mm. So it would either be like a cooking thing with, you know, a game with finding the ingredients and mixing it together. And I never hold back and she gets to lick her fingers and lick the spoon and put it right back in. <laughs> you know, we don't send things to bake sales, but yeah. you know, I never had that kind of patience with my own kids. So it's kind of fun to do mm. with her. Yeah, that's great. I'm going to let my son play the game. He's going to play the Colleen cooking game. <laughs> that probably isn't very exciting, but you know, <laughs> that's, that's my life in a nutshell. <laughs> One of the reasons I'm excited about this conversation is I don't know much about your story, but there were two words that were in your profile that really stood out to me. Those two words were miraculous recovery. Mm -hmm. And the reason they stood out to me is I've been in the midst of this healing season. I think I am about to release the maybe 37th episode of just this season itself. It's been a wild ride. There's been all these conversations. What's striking is there have been very few conversations about miraculous recovery. <laughs> so I've been intrigued by that. But then when I saw that those words were on your profile, I was like, well, here we go. <laughs> all right. Here is a miraculous a recovery story. Yeah. So I'm really excited to hear your story. And so I think the easiest way is to just jump right in. Sounds like you have an amazing story that started about a decade ago. Mm -hmm. And I would love to hear it. Sure. So I'm the mother of seven. My husband and I have six girls and one son. And back in 2013, you know, life was great. At the time, you know, I probably thought it was stressful. You know, we all think our lives are like the most stressful <laughs> lives of anybody on this earth. But looking back, you know, boy, I would do anything to have that stressful life back. Two of my kids already had master's degrees. I had two kids in college and I had three kids still at home, one in high school and two in elementary school. And my second oldest daughter, Lauren, was living in New York, living in Manhattan, living the dream. You know, she, we're from St. Louis. She packed two suitcases, hopped on a plane, moved to New York City without a job, and she was killing it. Mm. You know, life was great. Life was really good. But while on a business trip in Los Angeles, she was hit by a car. Mm. And I received that dreaded phone call that every parent fears from a Los Angeles detective, you know, one typical Friday afternoon you know, and it was, how are you related to Lauren Murphy? You know, my first thought was, oh God, what did she do? Wow. You know, why are the police calling me? Mm -hmm. And he went on to tell me that, you know, she had been in a really bad accident. And once I talked to the hospital social worker, you know, I learned that you know, she may not even be alive when we got there. Goodness. And she had severe head trauma and a severe traumatic brain injury. And, you know, not many people can define their life in chapter one and chapter two. But that was kind of the beginning of chapter two, you know, and it was not something I ever signed up for. You know, as parents, you know, we do whatever we can for our kids. And it's been a really, really long road. And there's times that I myself have to step back and realize how miraculous this recovery really was because she was not expected to survive. And, you know, we still have issues. I would love to say she's healed and everything's perfect, but we still struggle with a lot of things. But considering where we've been, God is good. And we are very, very grateful. Yeah. It's a big statement to say miraculous recovery because it's one that some people avoid using because they don't want to attribute anything supernatural. It's mm -hmm. one that some will avoid using because they're like, well, what if I'm wrong? What if it was just mm -hmm. this medicine or this scientific thing? Sure. And so when you think about this being a miraculous recovery, what leads you to know that that is indeed what it was? Okay, so first of all, my faith has always been, you know, my kind of my compass, you know, and in the beginning, that's all I had, mm -hmm. you know, that's all I had to hang on to. And I talk about this in my book a lot. It's that, you know, I don't know how to describe it, but even when all signs pointed to she's not going to make it out of here alive. And if she did, you know, as the days and weeks went on, then she's going to remain in a semi-vegetative state. Mm -hmm. 
But for whatever reason, no matter what the doctors told me, I had this overwhelming sense of peace that we were going to be okay. You know, God was in that ICU room. I have plenty of stories of, you know, when things were bad and your heart rate dropped and, you know, you're praying those prayers that you learn as a kid on autopilot, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's like, I don't know how many times I've said in Our Father or Hail Mary and never really thought twice about it. Mm -hmm. You know, an ambulance rolls by and you say a prayer real quick, but you're not really, really into the prayer. It's just kind of like, yeah, you just say the words, even though you have good intentions. But there were days in that ICU room when her heart rate dropped and they're bringing in the crash cart and preparing her body for the paddles. And I've never prayed a prayer with so much devotion and desperation. And I was so thankful that I had those auto prayers that I never really said as much as I should have. I never really reflected on them. So I know God was there. I felt him every day. You know, there were certain old church songs that came through my head and became kind of like the soundtrack to my life. Every time we would hit a brick wall, something or someone would show up and show us the improvement or tell us, you know, oh, I ran into Lauren and her speech was so much better. Mm -hmm. You know, I could totally see the improvement because when you're in the trenches every day, you don't see the little improvements. And with brain injury, the improvements are so small. We're nine years out and, you know, it's still hard for me to see the improvements, but they're there. They're not as big as the earlier improvements, but they're still there, you know, and every day is just a little bit better. Yeah. And, you know, the interesting thing about miraculous recoveries is there are people who are on your end of the spectrum that you came into it with a faith in God. Mm -hmm. You came into it praying and hoping and believing that God could do something. And then you got to see God do it. Sure. Your daughter might not have been alive by the time you even got there. Mm -hmm. But here we are nine years later and she has had some substantial recovery and she's continuing to recover. Right. Sure. But then there are people on the other end of the spectrum that are seeing the same thing as you. Mm -hmm. This young lady that should have died that didn't and is now functioning, right? Mm -hmm. Were you able to see how others reacted that maybe didn't have? Yes. How did others react that didn't have the same level of faith that you did? Great question. And her story went pretty viral. Taylor Swift visited, Mm. we had all these, you know, different things, but her carrying bridge was, you know, pretty heavily viewed. And so many people reached out to us to say, you know, I've left the church. And after seeing your story and Lauren and how well she's doing, I've come back to the church and my faith is restored and, you know, and, and which was great and very humbling. But the honest side of me was angry with God. Okay. That's great that all these people are coming back to church, but I was already there. Mm. Why did you pick me? Mm. I was faithful. I mean, by no means am I perfect, you know, but I've been faithful. Why did it have to be my kid? Why did it have to be my family? So I really struggled with that. And I was, like I said, I'm very humbled it's a weird feeling to have your child be so inspiring for other people, Mm. you know, and especially when we do our speaking engagements, nine times out of 10, she gets a standing ovation and everybody, you know, they wait in line to talk to us because we do it together. And her line is like a mile long, you know, and then there's (laughs) like maybe one or two people that want to talk to me. So it really is amazing to see the reaction that she garners from people because it's hard for me to see how miraculous it is sometimes unless I take a step back. Mm. But for others to see that, They can really see it, especially with the video clips that we always show. Yeah. That question that you asked, the why me, I think is a very real one Mm -hmm. and a very hard one. Yeah. Because something that I've been learning throughout my life and something that has come up often, I think, in this healing series is we are called to love God and love others. Mm -hmm. But that love others piece is a bit more robust than we assume. What we assume it means is that I'm nice to other people. I Mm -hmm. do nice things to other people. But sometimes loving others means that the things that happen are for the sake of others. Yeah. And so you navigating this 
as unfair as it could seem to you, mm-hmm. nine years later, you have a whole slew of memories of people whose lives were changed mm-hmm. because you went on this journey and because you were willing to go on this journey. And I hesitated saying that because I imagine there were moments like you just described. It's like, I don't want this journey. (laughs) I would not have chosen this journey. But you also said that you had this faith in God that allowed you to stay at the table. Mm -hmm. And I imagine you had hard moments where it's like angry at God. Uh But it's this staying at the table that that willingness to keep on stepping, even if they were hard steps, has done so much for other people some of which you may never even hear about yeah. on this side of eternity. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I feel like too, uh, and I've talked about this before too, is that you know my husband and I both at an early age, I lost my dad young and he lost his dad even younger. I think I was 20 and he was 14 or 15 when his dad died. You know, we also had other issues that had happened and I felt like, you know, I had my quota of tragedies, Yeah. you know, so, (laughs) and it's like, there is no quota of tragedies. And, you know, we've overcome a lot and we had great childhoods and great upbringing. So, you know, we don't have any of, you know, that to deal with, fortunately, but we've just had some really, really sad things happen early on. Mm -hmm. But looking back to It's not that we had our quota of tragedies, but I think those were building blocks for us to deal with what we had to deal with with our child, because it's terrible losing a parent and it's terrible losing a parent two weeks before your wedding. But that prepared me for what I was dealing with on this journey. And I think it made me stronger. And I don't know what's coming around the corner. You know, we don't get a quota. And I read a piece once in a religious book that said those that have hard things at life, because, and we all know somebody that, you know, life is just kind of just throwing stuff at them. And, you know, you think, wow, you know, why is so much happening to them? And I'm not putting myself in that category. I mean, there's people that have harder lives than me. But I read something that said, those are the people that wear a martyr's crown in heaven. And they just shine brighter than others. So I'm like, okay, I better be glowing Mm. when I get there because I feel like, you know what? It's okay. You know, I'm going to take whatever it throws at me and my reward is coming later. Yeah. You know, it's moments like this that I'm grateful for, also still annoyed by, but grateful for Jesus's words to die to all things and to die to self and die to everything and to live to him because... I'm grateful for it because there's wisdom in it. It's I'm annoyed by it because that's a hard thing for us to do, right? Mm-hmm. But I'm grateful because it's like he's giving us the secret to this. Mm-hmm. Because the reason that we feel like there is a quota is because we don't want to lose everything. Mm-hmm. We don't want to lose certain things. We don't want to have to go through hard things. And when we die to everything, mm-hmm. <laughs> and when we die to self, suddenly there aren't these things keeping us from trusting God. Whenever we're faced with loss, we're faced with tragedy, we come to this crossroads of how willing are we to still trust God? Mm -hmm. Because our minds will say, well, if God was really God, he would stop this. Mm -hmm. And if he was really good, he would stop this. And so the fact that my daughter might not be alive by the time I get there, but it is a hard thing. So it's a two-part question. You know, you had faith in God before this happened. Mm-hmm. Nine years later, how do you see God differently? And the second part of the question is, are you finding it easier to live out that invitation to die to self after having gone through this? Yes. So I think through the nine years, obviously, there's been times, I think, with everybody where you feel closer to God and where you feel like a little removed and you have to bring yourself back. I remember there was a few times early on where I'm like, I didn't get up and go to church and I'm like, God handed me a miracle on a silver platter, but yet I can't get up and get moving Mm. and give him one hour of my time. So there was a lot of guilt with that too. And there were different, you know, I don't think I've ever really been like in a a deep depression. And I think too, with her recovery, I couldn't, 
on days where I just felt like crud, I had to fake it till I made it because she fed off of me. I was her lead. So I'd have to wake up and be Susie Sunshine Mm. at night. My pillow would be tear strained. But during the day, you just had to fake it till you make it. So I struggled a lot through the years with that. And I went to a retreat probably about five or six years after our accident. And they announced it in church about, you know, we're having this women's retreat, blah, blah, blah. And one of my daughters turned to me and went, you should go. And I'm like, yeah, no, that's not for me because God can't fix this. You know, this is not fixable. And that was in my head. You know, I'm not going to this retreat. It's a waste. My problems are too big. Well, our problems are never too big for God. But, you know, that's just my own ego. Mm -hmm. That week, like that Wednesday, I logged on to our parish website because I was trying to get like my contribution statement because it was like income tax time. Mm -hmm. And then again, that thing was glaring at me about the women's retreat. I didn't see anything about my contribution statement. And I was kind of like, okay, is this a sign? You know, am I supposed to go to this? So I thought, okay, I'm just going to shoot an email to see if they have room. I mean, we're here like three, four days before the retreat. I send an email and I'm like, and you know, right away I get, yes, we have plenty of room. I have you down, blah, blah, blah. And I wasn't really sure what to expect when I got there. Mm -hmm. You know, they have this retreat and it's, you know, all these different women that are the core team give their witnesses. You know, as I sat there, you know, I'm kind of just like my walls are up. My problem is too big. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't fix this. And one by one, I saw myself in every witness. You know, the first one was the girl was young, single mom, raised a baby by herself. That's how it was with Lauren and me. I was 17 when I got pregnant. My husband, my oldest, had a baby at 17. Mm -hmm. We got married, blah, blah, long story. So I, I saw that. Another one was she had mother's guilt from, you know, working full time and not being with her kids. And then another one, her dad died. You know, it's just like every single person I saw myself and the tears just started flowing. For me, it was like, you know, you've all heard that saying where if everyone put their troubles in a pile, you would probably pick your own. Well, this was the first time where I'm like, my troubles are all of you combined. You know, I felt like I wouldn't pick my own. I would pick yours or yours or yours or yours. So it was kind of like that pity party. And I realized for the first time that I was angry with God Mm -hmm. because every time I had been to church since the accident, I was just grateful. You know, I was grateful that Lauren survived and I was just so thankful. But I realized. I wasn't really that grateful. I was angry and I couldn't face the fact that I was angry. And I talked to a priest at the time and he was like, you know, it's okay to be angry. You kind of got a raw deal. And I felt like at that retreat, it was just like a weight had been lifted because when I kneeled in that church, it was almost like I heard God whisper, I've been waiting for you to come. We needed to have this conversation, you know, and there was no rhyme or reason for why I was chosen. I'm not supposed to know why it was chosen, but I feel like God knows and someday I will know. But it really was a turning point for me. And I also realized that my issue wasn't so much the raw deal that I got with Lauren and her injury. It was the fact that I had to abandon my six other kids Mm -hmm. while I was piecing her back together. You know, mom guilt is strong. Mm -hmm. It's really strong. And I was never the mom that didn't show up to soccer games or missed prom or missed homecomings. But after that retreat, I added up the amount of days I lived out of state trying to piece Lauren back together. It was 404 days over a two-year period. We laugh now because my daughter, Kelsey, was a junior in high school at the time. Well, she had zero curfew once I left because dad's oblivious to everything. So there was good with the bad. But, you know, sometimes it's about perspective, you know, and it shouldn't take a religious retreat to feel that close to God. He's always there with open arms. We just choose to not see the signs and not open ourselves up to it. So it was really good to kind of recharge my batteries at that point in a recovery. And it really was a big turning point for me. Yeah. You know, you said something interesting there that it shouldn't take a retreat for us to see God because he's everywhere. And the reality is too often 
it takes retreats or it takes moments to make us see what's all around us. Yeah. Just I appreciate the transparency in what you just shared, because what can happen is somebody can hear a story like yours that you believed in God before the accident, that faith carried you through, you prayed for miraculous recovery and it happened. And here you are today and you got a book and you're speaking at these events and somebody could look at you and in their mind put you on a pedestal as at a different level than they are. Man, if I could have faith like Colleen, but my faith, I don't even know that I could pray for healing. And what you've just shared is you're actually a human being <laughs> that also still struggles with anger and frustration, struggles with not recognizing the anger you have, struggles mm -hmm. with seeking God, even though he handed you mm -hmm. a miraculous recovery. Mm -hmm. And the reality is, is we can look at scripture and see the same thing. The disciples walked with Jesus. They literally walked and talked with him. They saw him do miracles. They may have even experienced healing themselves and sort of like, they experienced all this, and yet they constantly had these missteps. They mm -hmm. constantly misunderstood him. They constantly operated out of fear. Yeah. So your story, I feel like, can be encouraging and almost a challenge to someone who is thinking too little of themselves. Mm -hmm. Because the invitation isn't for everyone to get spectacular faith before they engage with God. It's to engage with God, and it's in that journeying that your faith grows. Sure. So I appreciate you sharing that. That was really valuable. You know, the other piece too is as you're sharing your story, it reminds me of a story that I heard a few years ago and shared on the podcast. It was a guy named Kyle who was coming from somewhere and the short version of the story is he got shot in the back of the head, mm. ended up in the hospital. And a guy named John was the attending resident at the time. He sees Kyle's file. He sees Kyle and he says, with that type of a head injury, he's not coming out of it. And if he does come out of it, he is never going to walk again. Heard that before. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> when you were saying those words, and I'm uh -huh. like, this kind of thing happens. What was so beautiful about their story is, yes, Kyle lived and had this beautiful story of his own of how God healed him. But John, the doctor, spiritually, he was dying. Mm -hmm. Like He did not know that he could believe in God anymore. He did not believe in miracles. And this experience mm -hmm. transformed his life. And then they actually ran into each other randomly at a house church. Oh, and he's like, oh my gosh, that's, is that you, Kyle? Yeah. And so beautiful is I just released another episode with John, who now is actually having heart issues mm -hmm. and wrestling with needing healing himself. And it was just beautiful to see how this experience that Kyle had mm -hmm. had such an impact on John. And now John is in a state where he needs to rely on God more than he's ever done before. And he's able to process that in a very different way than he would have a few years ago. Yeah. When you think of your story and Lauren's story, have you seen moments like that where there are these what you would have just assumed were outliers that actually have been significantly impacted by Lauren's story? Oh, yeah. I mean, the ripple effect is huge. And I still get I mean, I've gotten a lot more since the book was released. But even before the book is released, you know, at, at seven years, eight years out, I would still get emails from people about how her story has moved them. And, you know, I've had other people with brain injuries reach out to us. You know, my husband and I are always happy to talk to any family with a new diagnosis because it's uncharted waters. And and, mm -hmm. you know, we never give medical advice, but we always share our journey and, you know, and give somebody a little bit of hope because the doctors don't always do that. And it's hard and you need hope to hang on to. 
head injury is tough. You know, brain injury is tough. In the beginning, I tried to get my hands on every book possible. And brain injury is a pretty big spectrum. You know, it's concussions mm -hmm. all the way to as severe as Lauren. And I remember one time reading a chicken soup for the brain injury soul. Mm. And every story I read was written by the person themselves. And some people had like some memory issues. They couldn't remember what they had for dinner the night before or whatever. And I'm like, you know, I just want my kid to be able to say my name, you know, and I just wanted to throw that book across the airplane. I was on a plane when I was reading it. And then I kind of had an epiphany and I'm like, well, the reason there aren't many stories about Lauren's is because those people don't normally survive. Hmm. So it, again, it's all perspective, how you look at it. Instead of being like angry that her recovery wasn't as good as theirs, I needed to be thankful that she's actually recovering because most people do not. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I call those God winks. It was like, I needed to change my perspective. And instead of being angry, I need to be grateful. Yeah. You know, another theme that has come up often on that topic of perspective is we in our minds always have the best case scenario queued up mm -hmm. when we're looking at a situation yeah. where we're thinking about our dreams, the best case scenario, this is what I think should happen. This is what I want to happen. If God's really good, he will make this happen. And then there are passages like the one that says to him who's able to do abundantly more than we could ask for or even imagine. And so the reality is, is that anything that we could ask for, anything that we could imagine pales in comparison to the abundantly more than God could do. And the reason I mentioned that is because somebody who is being skeptical could look at your life, look at your story, look at Lauren's experience and say, Lauren lost so many years and she's still having to struggle through things. Yeah. How is that good? How is that better? Why didn't God give you a better situation? You, you mentioned a few times the idea of you, know, you got a raw deal, mm -hmm. like you lost all these years mm -hmm. with your kids, like being able to directly engage with all the rest of them. Mm -hmm. Right. And somebody could look at that and say, that just seems cruel or unfair, or why would God do that? And this is the really tricky part of perspective. On a level, logically, yeah. Would it feel like it would be a much better situation if there was never any brain injury, never any loss of freedom, never any loss of relationship? Logically, yeah. I mean, that does seem better than this. Yeah. And yet somehow God in his infinite wisdom looked at your best case scenarios and said, I want to invite you into something that is going to look awful, but it is actually abundantly more. So I guess my question is, how do we grow in being able to have that type of perspective, the type of perspective that the Apostle Paul had that he said, I've learned the secret to being content in any and every situation. Like, how do we get to that place when logically there are pretty strong cases for this situation being a raw deal or being bad or being irredeemable? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know. You know, so many people use the phrase, everything happens for a reason. That's not my favorite phrase especially because it has to do with my child. Mm -hmm. You know, I could maybe see with my dad, even though I hated that I lost my dad so suddenly through a heart attack, but I'm like, okay, I can see the reason for that. It prepared me for this, but you can't ever tell me there was a reason that my child was critically injured because that's just like a mom's, that's just what you do. You protect your children. But I do believe that good things can come from bad things. Mm -hmm. And I think God gives us free will and her free will put her in the path of a car, you know? So it's hard for me. You know, a lot of people still have that. Everything happens for a reason, but she has a sense of purpose again. And sometimes we say she's the new and improved Lauren. You know, there's a lot of things that she does better, but we still have a lot of, you know, other things. And I still grieve for what was lost or what could have been, but I think she's happy. It's really, really hard for me still. Mm -hmm. I think I would have so much peace if I could reconcile that, Yeah. you know, but I'm just not there yet. 
I don't know that I'll ever be there. You know, maybe I should and just accept what is, but I'm a work in progress and I still struggle with that. Well, and what you mentioned, I really appreciate because that is how we operate. Like we want to be able to explain things because if we can explain something, then in a way we can kind of control it, or at least it can't control us. Mm -hmm. If we know what it is, then we know how to move forward. And that's where phrases like that come from of, God does everything for a reason. And it's kind of this is catch all. Mm -hmm. As you're talking, it's reminding me of other conversations. I had a conversation, I think it was with someone named Sharon, but we were talking about this idea of free will. And if somebody decides to drink too much and then get on the road and then they hit somebody and kill a family, like, was that God who did it? Or was it the free will of this person, right? And then this idea of control, I have a conversation with a guy named Rick, and we talked a lot about this issue we have with control, even if it doesn't seem like an unhealthy thing, like at the end of the day, that's sometimes our barrier to actually trusting God, because we end up being like Job at the end of Job, like, God, you allowed all these awful things to happen to me. Can you just explain it to me now? Yeah. And then God's like, I created the universe. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be able to understand yeah. what I know you cannot comprehend. Mm -hmm. What I love about that book is that Job says, okay, (laughs) right? Like he releases his need for God to explain himself. But that is hard. It is hard. Because you have lost a lot Mm -hmm. and you are continuing to have to navigate a life that was not what you would have chosen. Mm -hmm. And you're having to do so and still say that God is God and God is good. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Really what we're talking about is love here. Mm -hmm. One, we're able to see love clearly demonstrated between you and your daughter and that you were willing to give up so much in order to care for her. You didn't have to. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could have said, forget this. I didn't sign up for this. I'm out. Like you could have, mm-hmm. right? You didn't. You stayed at the table. You sacrificed. You lost. You cried into the pillow. You put on the happy face mm-hmm. when you had no happiness within you, mm-hmm. right? It was out of this place of love because you knew what she couldn't do. Mm-hmm. And so you were going to be there for her. You were not going to leave her. Mm -hmm. And we're called to love God and love others. So that love God piece is sometimes we're not willing to release in the same way. We're not willing to sacrifice in the same way. God, I'll love you in so far as my life is good. But if you allow something to happen and you don't explain it to me, ah, right? So that's the invitation it seems like you're having to live into mm-hmm. is God hasn't given you all the answers. And yeah. sure, it's nice, God, that you've allowed me to hear these anecdotes of how, but still, I want to know. And he hasn't told you. And so you're having to still, all right, God, you haven't told me, but I'm still going to love you today. Yeah. And that's why it's called faith. You know, you just have to have faith. And, you know, my husband and I often said, you know, what do these families do that don't have faith mm. and they have something like this happen? What do you hold on to? the doctors, because the doctors weren't telling us anything good. I'm so thankful that I had that foundation, you know, and that I was raised that way to know God and to love Jesus. And I'm just sad for the people that aren't. And in today's world too, it's not cool to have organized religion in your life. And I'm so sad for this generation because they're missing so much. There's a lot of good people that don't have faith. You don't have to have faith to be a good person, Mm -hmm. but I just feel like they're missing that piece because again, what do you hold on to in the trouble times? Yeah. I have a question and I say that in a hesitant way because I actually don't know what the question is, but I have this idea of a question. Okay. And so I'm just going to start talking and see if the question comes out because you know, you had the opportunity to experience miraculous recovery. This horrible thing happened. You went in praying for recovery and God made it happen, right? 
a lot of people have that same starting point. Mm -hmm. A horrible thing happens. They go in praying for recovery and it doesn't happen. But our default is always to want miraculous recovery. That is the best case scenario for mm -hmm. us that God would heal. And we can make a case for it because if God heals this person, then like it's going to be a testament to him and we're going to be able to spare it. And like, God, if you save them, like my life will be totally changed and mm -hmm. like all these things. But so many times that isn't the story. What would you say to those that are stepping into these spaces and assuming that the best case scenario is miraculous healing? The only good option is miraculous healing. What would you say to somebody that's in that space, knowing that that isn't always the way that the story goes? Yeah, that's that's a tough one because, you know, it weighs heavy on me that a lot of people haven't had the outcome that we have had. I don't know why God chooses one person to recover and another to not. And I have friends that have lost children. And that's kind of been my driving force when I get down in the dumps. And I feel like, you know, this is never going to get better. It's always going to be bad. And I think, you know, they would trade with me in a heartbeat. And I also have like almost a little bit of survivor's guilt mm. over the fact that she did survive. You know, sometimes I have to be guarded with my conversation because I don't know why God chose her. Does that mean he loves me more than he loves somebody whose child doesn't survive? Absolutely not. It's hard to reconcile. And I don't really have an answer for that. But I do know that survivor's guilt is strong. And then on the flip side of that, I have a lot of jealousy for people who have a better recovery, mm. you know? So it's like, it's just a constant battle or, or the people on Facebook who are constantly, you know, talking about their kid's ACL tear and how it's going to ruin their soccer career and blah, blah, blah. And I just, I, you know, it takes everything I have not to comment. Yeah. Oh my gosh, how are you ever going to get through this? Yeah. You know? yeah. And I'm like, and I know that's terrible because that would have been me before the accident, you know, because it is in their world, that's a devastating thing. Their child loves soccer and it is a hard thing. And I don't want to discount that, but it's hard for me to be like, you know what? Does your child know who you are? Cause my child didn't know who I was for months. You know, you know, I try to take a step back and be rational, mm -hmm. but sometimes it's not that easy. Yeah. So it's like you have guilt for the ones that are worse than your kid and you have jealousy for the ones that are better. It's just, you know, being human, you're in a constant battle. Yeah. And that is hard. It's very real, but that is hard. Mm -hmm. How would you encourage somebody who is currently in the space where someone they love may not make it? How would you encourage them? And that's another thing that's tough too with the people with brain injury that have reached out to my husband and I, there's a lot of times where we felt like I don't want to give somebody false hope, mm -hmm. you know, because it looks really, really bad. And I don't want to be like, you know, look at us. This is what we did. This is what you need to do. But, you know, my husband, I think it was my husband that said to me, when people gave us hope, if things would have turned out badly, would we have been angry at them? Absolutely not. You know, so it's like, it's my job to give them hope. You know, and of all of the people that we have been in contact with, with brain injuries, one did not make it, mm -hmm. which was really tough, yeah. but all of the other ones way surpassed Lauren's recovery Wow, actually fairly quickly. So we laugh kind of like, wow, boy, they really had it rough. You know, six months later, they're mm -hmm. driving a car. Yeah, it's hard. I just tell everyone just hang in there, you know, and the sun's going to come up tomorrow. There's going to be brighter days ahead mm -hmm. and just stimulate, 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 you know. I look back at some of our early carrying bridge posts and I laugh now. I'm like, oh my God, this was terrible. Mm -hmm. You know, or I would always paint Lauren's nails and I would put two bottles of nail polish in front of her and let her pick the color. She wasn't picking. But if she glanced one way, I'm like, oh, she picked red today. I'm like, she didn't pick, but I needed to believe that myself mm -hmm. to give myself the encouragement to keep going. So it's kind of like the best advice I could give you is fake it till you make it. Yeah. You know, it's tough. Yeah. 
You know, you mentioned faith earlier, and there's this interesting thing about faith is we've got to ask, what is it that we have faith in? Mm -hmm. What you have experienced is you are now at a place where maybe you believed that God could do miracles before, but now you have seen it. Mm -hmm. You knew that the reason that your daughter is still alive is because God did a miraculous thing. Mm -hmm. So now you have this locked in knowledge that miracles are possible, Mm -hmm. that prayer is powerful. You also had this knowledge that God doesn't heal every time, mm-hmm. even if there's a whole lot of prayer going into it. Yeah. Yeah. As you were talking, it reminded me of the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And the type of faith that they had was God could save us from this fiery furnace. He could do it. But even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow down to this other God, mm-hmm. right? It's this idea of both knowing what God could do but also knowing that God didn't owe them anything and that their invitation was to just continue to step in obedience. What's really great, just was really strong in my mind as you were sharing the story about encouraging others and that they were having faster recoveries, is what if part of what's happening here is that you were invited into this space where you are operating out of the faith that you had and really believing, really hoping, and then you see this thing And suddenly you're at a different place of faith now. Like you understand your faith is deeper than it was before. Mm -hmm. Not perfect, still growing, but deeper. However, when you were in that place, you had people reaching out to you that had never experienced brain trauma before. Maybe have never experienced loss. And they're pulling from their own understanding of God and their faith. And they're doing so authentically, right? But they didn't fully understand at, at times. There are some of them that didn't fully understand what they were saying. Well, now when you share with others, You're sharing from a place of deeper faith. And so when you are pouring into others, when you're praying for others, it's coming from a different place than it would have nine years ago Mm -hmm. or would have 20 years ago. And what if what's happening is there is this like a transference of faith almost that these people who are in this hard place are now not just being given platitudes, but they're being given authentic faith from you, which then allows them to pray in a much different way than they might have. Like, what if there are these seeds being planted from your one small experience that are now going out? And it's almost like an exciting thing that, yeah, is it a little frustrating if their recoveries are faster? You know, (laughs) kind of wish mine was. But what if it's the flip side of it that because of this deepening of faith communally, we're seeing deeper prayers, more authentic prayers, more belief that God can work. And it's doing abundantly more than we could have have just with platitudes. Sure. You know, my husband always says, you know, the good Lord can turn this house upside down if he wanted to, mm-hmm. but that's really not how he works. And he works through people. So many little miracles happen. I mean, the God miracles are when her heart rate dropped and it, you know, suddenly comes back up. But the little miracles were, you know, when we had to move to Chicago from LA and we're trying to find a place to live. Well, downtown Chicago, LA was crazy expensive. Now we're in downtown Chicago and somebody offered us a free apartment. Um, The president of Loyola University gave us a free apartment and it was within a mile of walking distance. You know, to me, those were little miracles. You know, the different things, the packages that would show up on my doorstep, you know, the care packages when I was having the hardest day ever. Those are the little miracles that people work through God to brighten your day. Mm-hmm. So there's so many little miracles, you know, that I could share throughout this recovery, but they're always there, mm-hmm. the little miracles, but we just choose to not see them. Yeah, that's really good. I got three final questions. Okay. And the first one is just off of that. How can we get better at seeing those little miracles? 
I would say instead of being better at seeing them, we can be the instrument of the miracle to somebody else. One thing I always do when we speak is, you know, I do things differently than I ever did when I hear of someone that has had a tragedy. Because the people that you think are going to show up for you are not the ones that show up for you. I mean, some do, but it's the ones that don't know you that well, that really, really make you feel loved and held up in prayer. And there's so many times where I would hear of a tragedy and I would pray for that person, but I would not want to reach out to them and tell them that I'm praying for them or drop off a care package because I'm like, I'm not in their inner circle. That would be weird. Mm -hmm. You know, we're just kind of wired to, you know, you hang out with your certain people, but those were the letters that, you know, hey, you're a friend of a friend of a friend. And I've been praying for your daughter daily. And, you know, one of my favorite cards I got, they said, don't worry if you don't have time to pray. I've got your back. Mm. And it was like, you know, in the heat of the main like rehab, the hard days, you know, I had to peel it back. And be like, Did I pray today? I don't know if I prayed today. But getting that card that said, it's OK if you haven't prayed, mm -hmm. I've got you covered. You know, it was like gave me permission. Reach out to people, you know. Life is messy. You know, it doesn't have to be a tragic situation. It could be a divorce or a job loss or, or whatever, an illness, whatever it is. You be that miracle to somebody else. And you're going to get so much more from that being the giver than the taker. You know, another thing that we always ask when we speak was, what is the kindest thing anyone has ever done for you? Think of something that's really out of the box. And I have a couple that, you know, are really just blew me out of the water answers. But if you haven't had a tragic situation, Often you can't come up with that out of the box kind of thing. Everybody does kind things for people, but what is that one like really, really kind thing? So that's always my challenge. You be that kind act. So I feel like if you don't see the little miracles in your life, create them for others, and then you're going to get rewarded in turn. If someone wanted to hear more of your story, more of Lauren's story or connect with you, what's the best way for them to do that? So the best way to reach out to me is on our website, murphysdon'tquit.com. There's a contact tab that goes right to my email. We also have Facebook, which is Lauren Murphy Recovery page. Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter is at murphysdon'tquit. And then my book that was just released in October, which is also called Murphy's Don't Quit, that can be found on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, really anywhere books are sold. That's the best way to hear all the story. It's the good, the bad, the ugly. It's tragic, but it's also pretty funny, mm -hmm. which I think people were really surprised by that. You know, when you read a book about something tragic, you're not expecting the humor. Mm -hmm. So the reviews on Amazon have been great and beyond humbling. But for me, my writing style has always been, I find the humor in everything. Yeah. And that was like the best gift I got from my late father, even the hard stuff. But for a long time, nothing was funny. Mm -hmm. So I had to wait about six years before I could take a step back. And the funny was always there. You just had to take a step back from it and find it. Yeah. So I'm really proud of the book. And, you know, people have responded well to it because it's real. And I talk about all the mistakes I've made mm -hmm. and the crabbiness and it's a love story, but it's a love story of family. Again, it's super, super real and raw. And I was nervous to get it out there mm -hmm. because, you know, everyone knew our story, but you don't normally share your inner thoughts and your inner feelings and things about faith, you know, and that's very vulnerable to share your faith outwardly with other people. And it's an uncomfortable thing, but it's sprinkled throughout the book. You know, the best way to get all of the story is there. But if you have any questions or comments or whatever, the, the website's probably the best way. It's great. And then my final question is a simple one. Is there anything else on your heart that you want to share before we go? Oh, gosh, just God is good. I am grateful for my faith and I am grateful for my continuing conversion because it is, we're never just there, right? Mm -hmm. You know, it's always a journey. So keep searching and always put God first. I wish I could say that I do, 
because I don't. So I, you know, I almost sound kind of hypocritical, like, oh, always put God first, because clearly I don't. Sometimes I wake up crabby and I'm, you know, to my husband. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. when things are tough, look up. You will walk, you will run, dance through the streets, shouting praise to the one. You're healed, you're clean. Go out, tell the people what you've seen. Revived in him, new life in him. As I was praying about how to close out this episode, I did what I often do in these moments. I looked at my phone at the verse of the day that pops up as a widget. And here is what 1 John chapter 4, verses 11 and 12 say. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. And what I love about this verse for this conversation is it really hits hard at what Colleen tried to invite us into. Because let's be honest, we are constantly looking for miracles. We want God to do something big. Meanwhile, the invitation that God is giving us is to love one another. Because when we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Colleen said, if we're looking for the miracle, be the miracle for someone else. As we exhibit love for others, particularly selfless love, God's love can become deeply present, not just among them, but among us. In hard situations and tragedies, miracles can seem like the best case scenario. The miraculous recovery is the longed for outcome, but God is actually after abundantly more than we could ask or imagine. Sometimes he does the miraculous recovery. And I think how amazing it could be to hear the rest of the story of those whom Jesus healed. What was the rest of their lives like? How did they navigate their miraculous recovery? Did they have moments that were challenging like Colleen shared? How did that change how they loved God and loved others? But even in the absence of the miraculous recovery, miracles can happen. Colleen spoke with joy about the little miracles that she experienced throughout their experience, with as much gratitude as when she shared about the miraculous recovery of her daughter. Sometimes we can get so enamored with the big miraculous recovery that we miss the constant flow of daily, hourly, minutely miracles. Because God is present and active. God is not just loving, he is love. And at this moment, in your hard situation, in your tragedy, God is love. But let us not stop there. Let us press into what Colleen has invited us into. That if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Because again, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. If we are longing to see the miraculous recovery, let us start by looking for the love of God and exhibiting the love of God through us in our lives, in our relationships, in our interactions. Because we may be surprised at what we see, the little miracles, the big miracles, but more importantly, a loving God who is doing abundantly more than we could ask or imagine. No matter what your hardship today, love one another so that God can abide in you, so that his love can be perfected in you. And then ask yourself, where did you see God? Have you ever wanted to read Revelation but haven't known where to start? Or have you been afraid to read Revelation because of all the ways you've seen it misused? Or maybe you haven't even wanted to touch Revelation, but feel like maybe you should since it's part of the Bible. 
Well, if you're in any of these positions or any other ones, I've got a resource for you. It's called A Journey Through Revelation for the person who doesn't want to read Revelation. And here's the thing. The hope for this resource is that it makes the exploration of who God is and what revelation can mean for you accessible, whatever you believe. And this will not be your normal revelation study. It's not going to dive into the historic representations of the imagery or expertly decipher the prophecies. The goal of this is not to tell you what revelation means. It's to explore what it can mean for you. Now, this thing is available for you right now in a few forms. One you could go to www.wheredidyouseegod.com slash revelation, and you can find a PDF for free, which you can read on your phone, on your device, or print out. But if you like something that's a little nicer looking, it is also available through Amazon on Kindle and in paperback form. And I prefer paperback, whether you print it or you get the one on Amazon, because this gives you a place to write some things out because you're going to want a place to write things out. Because I really do believe that God wants to speak to you through Revelation, whatever you feel about Revelation, whatever your experience and whatever you think about God. So if you're interested, get it for free, get it for a very, very, very low price. This is not about making money, but about us together exploring how we can see God in the midst of such a difficult and controversial book. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the Where Did You See God podcast. And I would love for your stories to be a part of it as well. So there are a number of ways that you can do that. You can check out our Facebook page at Where Did You See God podcast. You can go to anchor.fm slash Where Did You See God, or you can leave a brief voice message at 804-372-3836. I would love to hear your stories. And if the stories you've heard have encouraged you, uh, think of someone else who could be encouraged as well and share it with them. The music you've been listening to is You'll Walk, You'll Run by Urban Doxology. They are a solid group and you will love listening to the rest of the music. So check them out. And as always, as you go through your day, ask yourself, where did you see God? <laughs>